Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. I'm not on the TikTok yet. I keep talking about it. I'm trying to figure out, like, you know, what I'm going to be doing. And everybody's doing so much crazy stuff on there. So i got to figure something out, but uh, maybe I'll get there. You can also listen to the show on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. I want to thank you again for your support, and I hope you've enjoyed the shows and and share them with friends and family. Well, this morning I am speaking with someone who won the 2021 Penn Faulkner Award for Fiction, the 2020-2021 Story Prize, and the 2020 L.A. Times Book Prize. Um, she is, uh, was a finalist for the 2020 National Book Award for Fiction. Her book is called The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. Good morning, Deisha Filial. Good morning, Joy. How are you? I'm so happy that you're here. I, like I said earlier, I said yummy, yummy. I mean, the book is delicious. <laughs> of course, you know, regardless of the peach cobbler's chapter. I mean, that just got me right there. I was like, the chapter called Peach Cobbler? Does she know that's my favorite? Oh, my God. I had a godmother who, who grew peaches mm-hmm. out in the country and made it from scratch. Ooh. She was doing the canning, putting them in oh the face, all kinds of stuff. Yes. Mm, 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 mm. So, anyway, good morning. Thank you again for coming on the show. Um, this is your first book of fiction, and you have just hit the ground running. How do you feel? Yes. Overwhelmed, <laughs> excited, um, not sure what to do. All what, of the above. <laughs> um, overwhelmed, excited, you know, overwhelmed in a good way, um, thankful, honored, um, you know, just really happy, just happy that the book is, you know, not only out in the world, but that people, readers, connected with it um, the way that they have. Uh, because, you know, as a writer, you don't always know if what you intend is, is, is going to resonate with people. Um, but, uh, but the reaction and the response to it from readers has been incredible and beyond, you know, anything I imagined. And certainly uh, the awards have been um, beyond anything I imagined, you know, it's like this little book um, on a university press uh, debut, short stories, which everybody says, you know, they're a hard sell. And lots of readers tell me, I don't even read short stories, you know. So it's amazing that um, this particular book um, has gotten uh, the accolades that it has, and and I'm really thankful for that. Now, um, tell the audience, some people may not be familiar, just a little brief synopsis, what is the book about? 
The Secret Lives of Church Ladies is a collection of nine short stories um, that center around black women, sex, and the black church. And I like to emphasize uh, that it's in that order that these are stories about black women and the church is in their orbit and not the other way around. Um, The stories feature characters who are either themselves church ladies or they are what I call church lady adjacent. Somewhere in their life, uh, there has been a church lady um, who has influenced them. And I think a theme that runs through all of the stories is this idea of getting free of the kinds of um, binaries and, and double standards and all of the things that, uh, that, that we might learn at church that don't serve us. You know, how do we navigate those things? How do we navigate them in the face of our desires? How do we navigate binaries that don't fit us that we are often taught at church? Um, and so the characters are all in some way some degree trying to get free. And then uh, after I turned in my manuscript, it dawned on me that uh, mother-daughter themes run through the book as well. That was not intentional, but there was obviously something going on with me subconsciously as I was writing these stories. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of mother-daughter relationships that are messy and complicated um, in these stories. Oh, definitely. I mean, um, there's a lot of mother-daughter. I totally picked up on that. The father situation, uh, daughters and their fathers, um, and then there is the church. And like you said, the church is kind of not the center. The women are the center. So I think that um, mm-hmm. was really important, and I think that's probably where people connected. Now, before this, though, you were writer writing. You were a writer. It wasn't like you couldn't write. It's not like this is the first time you wrote anything. You, but you were doing co-parenting 101 with your ex-husband. How did that begin? Um, how did you agree to do that together? Considering that mm-hmm. that was your ex, you know. Yeah. So you know, fiction was uh, you know, and is my first love. Um, I you know uh, kind of pivoted during my writing career from writing fiction and really not getting published to stumbling into a columnist job at uh, Literary Mama. So I started writing personal essays. So that got me into a different genre. Um, and around a few years after I started writing that column, my ex and I got divorced, and um, we committed to and, you know, dealing with our grown-up stuff like grown-ups, um, but always making sure that our kids were not caught in, you know, the crossfire of, of, of our, you know, our issues. And, um, and so uh, people would observe us and, and observe, you know, that we were very civil, um, and eventually, you know, that became more amicable as healing happened. But in general, you know, they didn't see the what people often associate with divorce, which is just a lot of you know yeah. negativity and and um, mm-hmm. you know out being out to get each other and using the kids as pawns. You know, the worst case scenarios right. around mm-hmm. divorce mm-hmm. that we. Unfortunately, that's what we associate with divorce and parenting after divorce. And so folks would say, you know, you guys are like the poster children for divorce, you know, which nobody really wants to be. Yeah. Um, but um, but that, that's what they would say. And so my ex, um, not too long after uh, we got divorced, um, you know, somebody had said it to him yet again. And he said, you know, you're a writer. You should, you should write a book about, you know, this, mm. about, you know, our situation and, and how we're doing things. And I said, you know, we, I could do that, but, you know, I think it would be more compelling if we did it together to yeah. represent mm-hmm. how 
you're not with this person as an intimate partner anymore, but you are you are still doing one of the most important jobs on the planet, which is raising children together um, in two different households. And it is challenging and it is complicated. And our situation is, you know, is is good because we don't also have the added animosity and all of that kind of stuff. But it's still work and it's still hard and you still got to, you know, communicate and there's still challenges. And so we didn't want to write a book that was like, look at us, you know, we wanted to write a book yeah. that answered the questions. Well, how do you do this? Just eat, whether it's logistical questions or emotional questions. What if you and your ex are just oil and water? And what if you want to, you know, be the bigger person and be mature about it, but this other person just is coming for your neck all the time? Like, how do you handle that? So um, mm-hmm. that's the book we wanted to write. So we worked on building a platform and using social media and getting to know co-parents around the country and finding out what was important to them. We had a blog. We had a blog talk radio show. So hearing the music and all of the things this morning just really the put me back. Come on. Um, yeah. I mean, you guys we, were we very all intimate. Of that for a few if, years. If, if you think about it, you guys, even though you were divorced, you're still very intimate because you have a life and mm-hmm. lives that you're responsible for. And, um, you know, That's I think right. a lot of people could – use that because for some reason, um, even when you separate and maybe some cases, like you said, oil and water, people are like, I'll never have to talk to that person again. No, 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 no. You're going to have to deal with this person for 18 years, even if the person never shows up. And and that brings me to, Mm -hmm. you know, the issue of the father in this book um, of yours. And one of the questions is, one of the characters is like, is it better to have the, like the swift, chop off, so to speak, of the limb yeah. or have repetitive disappointments of the father not showing yeah. up, you know. And, um, yeah. you know, for me, I, I, I came from a situation where my mom left my dad, but it was a domestic violence situation. For mm-hmm. me, I was mm-hmm. actually happy. I never knew that person. I never had the in and out. Right. I, 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 didn't, I didn't meet them actually until I was 18. Um, but mm-hmm. I know other people, and I know, um, you know, uh, my daughter, you know, she had the in and out, you know. So um, mm-hmm. what do mm-hmm. you think is, what do you, what have, in your co-parenting and also even in this book, what has the response been maybe to that? Have people responded to that aspect and said, you know, no, I like the, I like the swift chop. I never met him. I never saw him. That's great. Um, he only sent money or whatever. Like, what, what was the yeah. response to that? So the, um, the the story that you're referencing is called Dear Sister, and it's about uh, these four half-sisters who have this, you know, deadbeat father in common. He dies, and they are writing this letter to a fifth sister that they know about but that they've never met to let her know, one, he died, and two, you know, we'd like to get to know you, and this is who we are, and they are a hot flaming mess. Um, but it's also, you know, they're also mm-hmm. funny, and they're, they also love each other in their own way. So it's complicated, you know. Um, yeah, and so that story was was really personal for me because that was my situation um, of having four half-sisters. My dad was not the dad. Any of us needed him to be, and we had this, this fifth half-sister. Um, but I didn't, unfortunately, have close relationships with all of my sisters the way they, um, the sisters in the story, are close, even if it's close and, and difficult. They grew up together. Mm-hmm. I only grew up with one of my sisters. Um, yeah. And so 
what, um, you know, and so that question that, you know, the character poses in that story is one that, you know, I've wondered about because, you know, I dealt with my father with the in and out, you know, but then I have one of my sisters who, you know, she didn't know him at all. And, and, and you know, and mm. I, I don't know if that was her mother's choice or what the deal was, but someone decided that, you know, she was going to be spared that. And so she didn't have any connection. Um, but, you know, we're happy that she, you know, in our adulthood, you know, we now have a relationship with her. Um, and so yeah. that was a question, you know, that I had myself. When readers talk to me about that story, it's usually not the question about the father, but I've come to understand just how um, that circumstance of having these half-siblings is more common than I realize. And and not just mm-hmm. having half siblings, but okay, here are the siblings we knew about, but then there was this other sibling we didn't know about until he died. Yeah. Like that's such a common yeah. refrain, and I I didn't realize that that it was. I knew it happened, but I didn't know it was as common. So people have reached out to share with me, you know, that they reached out to that sibling or they were that sibling you know, and they weren't mm. welcomed by their family, you know. So, you know, families are just so messy. I mean, we could just, if we only, if I only ever just wrote about family, I could write forever, <laughs> you know, because yeah, yeah. it's complicated, it's That's, messy, it's you know, people. complicated, mm-hmm, <laughs> intricate, everything. I mean, yeah. we're humans, you know, what can we say? And this is the thing about your book. You're showing these different layers of African-American women that, um, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of times, People have a stereotype of black women. I mean, I had uh, Mickey Kendall on and we were talking about, you know, um, how uh, young black women, you know, like elementary school, or high school, not even are adultified um, and thought to be mm-hmm. strong and thought to be sexual and not to hurt as much and all these things. But that's not true. In this book, you do deal with sex. Was there any concern of people taking it? to the negative, like, oh, here's these black women talk about sex. Like, did you have that? Or were mm-hmm. you like, no, I'm just going to tell them my truth and not worry about it? Yeah, I realized that, that, that you know, this book, um, my intention wasn't to try and change. I don't know that it's possible to change the minds of people like that. I think people believe what they want to believe. And so mm-hmm. I just wanted to write the story that I wanted to write and the truth of who we are <clears throat> and what we deal with and the different ways we deal with it. Um, I, I know from history and personal experience and just, you know, our culture that no matter how we dress ourselves up or how we, you know, uh, whatever position we might, uh, our public behavior or appearance or how we engage around the idea of sex, it does not save us. It doesn't spare us. You know, mm-hmm. sexability doesn't spare us. You know, I think one of the, um, something that will, I will never forget is when there was a, a woman named Christine Fox um, who was on Twitter years ago, there was, you know, yet another very public rape case, and I forget which one it was, and it's a shame that there's so many. Um, but there was, you know, people with this, you know, just horrible question of what somebody was wearing, as if it mattered, right? Mm-hmm. And so Christine asked mm-hmm. the question, the first time you were sexually assaulted, what were you wearing? And, you know, people are saying, I was five, I was wearing my Mickey Mouse pajamas, 
you know. And so mm. I, say, mm-hmm. I share that to say that that it doesn't matter how we present ourselves. People who mean to harm us, whether it's through physical and sexual violence or through their harmful perceptions of us, that's the narrative that they've decided. And we can present counter narratives. But when I present my counter narratives of the truth of who we are, I'm not thinking I need to um, change the mind of someone who does not see my humanity. That is not, mm-hmm. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in, in engaging people who don't see my humanity because they don't see my humanity not because they are not convinced and they haven't seen evidence. It's because they don't see us as human, you know. They don't see us as people. They don't see us as worthy of respect and protection and, and all of those kinds of things. And so, you know, Toni Morrison should, told do, us, and, you know. You, do, should, do you consider yourself a feminist? Are you a feminist? I do, I consider myself a black feminist. I qualify it because when people hear feminism, it, you know, it means a lot of different things to different people. Um, For me, my feminism is women being treated as fully human. Um, White feminism, that's a whole other thing. Um, And then, of course, Alice Walker gave us womanism, um, which is black women's feminism. And it's not even black women's feminism, it's its own thing that's rooted in our culture and in black womanhood and the the duality of us at all times of being black and women and not something that we can or want to separate out. Um, So absolutely, I come from a perspective of, um, of women as fully human in a culture that was not in, 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 a, in a, a society that wasn't founded on the principle of black women as human beings. You know, that's how they justify slavery. We weren't human. Um, and so to me, my feminism is to call out that lie through narratives of the truth about who we really are. You know, uh, I was reading in an article, an uh, interview, it said that you were introvert. Uh, audience, does this yeah. woman sound like she's an introvert? I don't think so. I just got a little revolutionary to stand up. I need to put my fist up like black power. Yes, sister. You know, with my Afro pick. It says you was introvert. And that you was kind of happy. Go ahead. Go ahead. Explain. I was going to say, I think introverts are really misunderstood. I mean, I think we can be activists. We can be leaders. We can speak truth to power. It's just about where our energy comes from and my energy comes from recharging um, and energy for me is expended when I'm interacting with a lot of people it doesn't mean I dislike it it just it's draining in a way where for an extrovert the you know interacting with a lot of people gives them energy you know they're energized by the engagement Um, and so for me I find you know especially I didn't you know I kind of knew I was an introvert, like I did the Myers-Briggs test, but I was always like, that's so strange, you know, because I am a chatterbox. But, again, I was misunderstanding introversion. But after, um, you know, this time of isolation during the pandemic, I've spent a lot of it alone, and then I spent 11 days at a residency teaching. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm an introvert. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, because at the end of the day, I was exhausted. 7 o'clock at night, I'm wiped out because I've been with people all day. Mm -hmm. And um, and so that really brought it home for me, like, yep, that's it. I I am an introvert, and I do um, (laughs) – 
as much as I enjoy, you know, the engagement, it does drain my energy. It doesn't build me up. Yeah. Well, um, I'm glad that your introvert allowed you to come on this morning and talk with me. Now, (laughs) the stories are in uh, different formats. Can you talk to the audience about the different formats you use, like Dear Sisters in one format and, um, you know, you know how yeah. you, uh, the physicist story. Talk, talk to them about the different formats. Yeah, sometimes the stories come in these different formats because I get bored easily and I got to okay. keep myself interested in the story. So, <laughs> if I'm bored, then I'm right? probably going to be bored. So it's like, let me do something different, you know, just to, let me try something different. And I like experimenting and I like play in writing, like, you know, well, what if, and I'm going to try this, you know. Um, but sometimes uh, the form, different forms come about because of, uh, you know, something with the character or the dynamic in the story. So I'm thinking specifically of, like, um, Jael, that story, where um, mm. I knew that I wanted to write about this 14-year-old girl who had been given this name of this uh, woman in the Bible who had killed this man in a very violent and very personal way. And I was wondering, mm-hmm. like, what if a 14-year-old black girl had that name, what would she be like? And why would somebody, who would give her that name? Why would they do that? Right. And, um, mm-hmm. and so when I started exploring those questions, um, I, the, the story started to sh- take shape that she was being raised by, at first I thought it was her grandmother, and then as I worked through kind of the genealogy of the story, it was her great-grandmother. Um, and, and, you know, and she's worried about this child. She's so worried about her. And I was like, what is she worried about? And, um, you know, oh, she's reading the baby's diary. Okay, what's in the baby's diary? Oh, she got a crush on the preacher's wife. Oh, you my know? God. When she so did we that, were hearing I was from like, the grandmother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, so now we got to hear, the, we got to get the journal in here. So that's how it ended up being a combination of a traditional narrative, which is we hear from Granny in that first uh, person narrative, and then that alternates with Giles' journal entries. So I kind of the, the story drove the form there, and then another one was uh, instructions for married Christian husbands. I had written a lot of pages of a story, traditional narrative of a woman who had uh, serial affairs, and then I okay. focused in on this one guy that she had met. And then that's the last story I wrote for the collection. It's not the last one in the collection, but it's the last one I wrote. And when I pulled out Mm -hmm. all those pages that I had written, you know, months before, um, I was bored. I was like, I don't have anything new to say about affairs. Like, I don't have Mm -hmm. anything interesting. I don't care about either one of these people. I don't care if anybody catches feelings, you know. But then around that time on social media, I was chatting with a friend, and we, there, somebody had posted something about, um, you know, these women who were the side chicks, as they say, were somebody had public or printed shirts that said, I heart her husband. And I was like, that Ooh. is bold. Like, why would you that do that? Is and then the wives clap back, but I have his 401K, you know. And so I was talking to my friend, and wow. I was like, you know, it's such a shame that in these scenarios, there are three people involved, but it's always the women you know, pitted against each other. It's always a cat fight. Mm-hmm. And the guy, it's like he's incidental when really, you know, he's at the center. And I said, but we marginalize the woman, you know, the, the, the mistress, like we even call, you know, side chick, like you're on the side. And so I was like, what yeah. if so? Um, I, we took that character, the side chick, and what if she was and actually made her the center? central? What if everything was from her per- 
perspective. And instead of her having to follow this man's rules in this affair, what if she made the rules? And what if it was a literal rule book? What if it was a literal instruction manual? And that's how I mm. went back into that story and was like, okay, now I'm interested. Now I'm curious. Now I can have fun with this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things the book is talking about is truth and what we think our truth is and then what other people see about us. Mm-hmm. So there's all these different layers because, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. we think we know ourselves yeah. and, like, yeah, we're sure, we're confident, yeah. we're cocky. <laughs> and then somebody was like, no, you was doing that on Tuesday. You also did it on Thursday, and then you did it again on Saturday. We're like, what? <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's what's happening throughout the book. And I think that's, um, as, I mean, like I was telling you earlier, like I'm, I'm older now, I'm, I'm 51, and, you know, I'm learning new things about myself and mm-hmm. about the universe. So if anybody walks around thinking yeah. they know everything or even that they know themselves mm-hmm. and what they would or they're wouldn't They're missing do, out. This, the, the, they're, right, exactly, they're missing out. One of my favorite um, chapters is How to Make Love to a Physicist. I just love the rhythm. I felt like almost I was on this boat, like in Bali. Oh. I had the little canopy. And, and then there were some <laughs> jars. There were some jarring moments. And I was like, whoa, what? Why did she yeah. do that? Oh, okay. And then it yes. went back to calm, you know. So that, for me, was one of my um, favorite. Um, but also Peach Cobbler. What's your favorite story in this book? Do you have a favorite one that you just like, yes? after you were like, that's it, that's it. Um, you know, I love How to Make Love to a Physicist because it was a love story with a happy ending. And I remember being, you know, in the throes of writing it going, are they going to be happy? Am I going to let them be happy? Because you get to play like, you're like a puppet master, you know. Like, is this going to happen? I didn't know you ending? were going to make them Can happy. I- yeah, right. I, 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 I didn't know, you, know you, know, I, you kept playing with me. You kept teasing me, man. So that was great. I, I'm, I, you know, and it's a love story. You know, I'm a sucker for a good love story, and uh, but a complicated one. You know, like I don't like sugary, sweet, you know, icky sweet stories. So it's a messy love story mm-hmm. that ends well. Um, so that yeah. one I love, and then um, I love. I, I realized um, I love Peach Cobbler. Uh, in most, um, in part because it touched so many people, and you know, I didn't know that um, as I was writing it. But hearing from people, most of the time, if they have a favorite, it is Peach Cobbler. And I think too, um, you know, one of the reasons it's really close to my heart is the character Olivia stayed with me. I didn't realize how much she stayed with me until I was writing mm-hmm. the last story, Instructions for Married Christian Husbands, and she popped up there out of the blue. I yeah. didn't plan that. Yeah. But when I was writing the narrator who is not named and she's talking about herself, says, you know, I own a bakery and I make the best peach cobbler in town. I was like, oh my goodness, that's Olivia. I couldn't mm-hmm. shake the girl. And so I think yeah. that, you know, that, that that's the reason that story also has a special place in my heart. Now, I was reading that you went to the library when you were younger um, what was your favorite section? Because I remember the library, and I can still smell the library, and like the books mm-hmm. and the little benches and the and the little the little turnstile I had to go through. I just loved going to the library. What was your favorite area and favorite part about going to the library? 
So the children's department, um, you know, always had fun things. And sometimes in the summertime they showed movies. So, you know, I, I lived in the children's department, um, you know, reading, um, you know, lots of, of classic YA novels, lots of Judy Bloom and that sort of thing. But then I would also go into the adult section and I would read, um, like, Jackie Collins novels because nobody what? was telling me how sex works, and I needed to okay. know. <laughs> and so I was so confused. But, yeah, I was reading Jackie Collins novels and YA novels at the same time. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. See, parents, you can't let them do anything. You take them to the library, you think you're doing the right thing, and then they end up exactly. reading Jackie Just Collins look, novels. They don't stop you. You can go, as a kid, you can go in any part of the library you want, and as long as you're quiet, nobody bothers you. (laughs) That's true. I mean, they have all all the different sections. I also read something interesting, and this is one of the, like I was telling you, I was reading the book, and I was having those, "Mm mm-hmm, yep, yep moments, but also (laughs) some of the stories of your life. I read that your mother's favorite movie was The Bad Seed. Well, guess what? I was a, I was an actor in the play The Bad Seed in my high school, at my high school, and I just oh started gosh. cracking up. Yes, The Bad yep. Seed. I she said, had two what? favorites: The Bad Se- <laughs> The Bad Seed and Imitation of Life. My mother would watch those movies whenever they came on, and so they kind of stuck with me as well. And so when I was thinking about this fourteen-year-old black girl who had this name that had this sort of horrible history attached to it. Um, and what might that, you know, you know, what, who, who, what kind of kid was she? I thought it would be fun as, in a, like a little, you know, tribute to my mom and a little homage to the film. What if her grandmother saw her, or I'm sorry, her great grandmother saw her as a bad seed, you know? Um, and so mm-hmm. I, I put those elements in there. But uh, thanks to my mom because she introduced me to that movie, and. Um, and it was one of those things that, like, you know, my mom and I had a difficult relationship, but we were very close, especially when I was little. And so I love what she loved. I loved Imitation of Life. I loved Bad Seed. I love the OJs, you know. So there's a story mm. in the collection when Eddie Levert comes, and Eddie, um, the OJs were my mother's favorite group. So a lot of that, these things, little details um, are tributes to my mom, who passed away um, in 2005. Now, we were talking earlier about kids taking care of us when we get older, and you were going to tell me Mm -hmm. something, because that's a serious thing. People don't think about that until maybe they get to that maybe age of 60 or something, and maybe maybe they're in good health, 70, and then it's like, what are my kids going to do? Are they going to put me in a home? Are they going to keep me in my house? Will I have my memory? Um, Because that's what the Eddie Levert thing is dealing with. What were you going to talk to me about um, that that issue? I was, yeah, I was going to say that you know it was an example of one of the stories where I got to explore something in my fiction that I couldn't in my real life. You know, so like just mm-hmm. like with your sister, I didn't grow up with all my sisters, but I got to explore those relationships with sisters. And, you know, those sisters in my story, they got to grow up together and become women and have relationships, you know, that had all these layers that I didn't have with my sisters. And similarly, with when Eddie Levert comes, um, you know, I, my mother was not um, the kind of, um, you know, uh, emotionally abusive mother that's depicted in the story, but we had our challenges, um, 
And so uh, this idea of having to care for someone who didn't, you know, wasn't always a good person towards you, that has to be rough. And I won't ever know that because my mom died, you know, she was only 52 and I was 34 when she died. Um, And so I wanted to write a story about what that might be like to take, have to take care of someone who you've got unresolved issues with. Um, and yes. so I always mm-hmm. want to emphasize to people that, you know, mama in that story is not my mother and I am not daughter. Um, but that premise, though, is like here's something that I won't ever um, have to do, but what is that like for women um, who have and, and become the caretakers, be the... as many of us do? Right. Women seem to become the caretakers and the men – I'm not a man-hater, man, men out there, I'm not a man-hater, but unfortunately <laughs> caretaking, even from when people are little, little babies, little kids, yep. women are the mm-hmm. caretakers, and they're, like, left mm-hmm. with this. And, you know, mm-hmm. how do we change that? Um, and, and similarly, how do we change, I guess, parenting? Because, you know, co-parenting, yeah. you, you wrote that book, you think you might write a book about, I don't know, elderly challenge I don't know that, that's almost like a co-parenting because now you have to take care of this elder person who's kind of regressing back to mm-hmm. like a little kid you know yeah what do you I think? mean you know I it, it makes it society makes it so hard for women because we have to fight constantly we have to advocate for ourselves you know and I know this is easier said than done but you know we also have to, um, I think, we, you know, those, pe- those who have sons that they're raising, raise your sons to be caretakers, to share the responsibility of caretaking because, you know, that job is going to come around for a lot of folks. Um, but also um, as, as women, you know, really having to advocate for ourselves, and that's not always easy. You know, so in the, in the story, you know, daughter has a brother, who has a lot of opinions, but not a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So maybe once nope. in, you know, um, helping to, to, to caretake. And so, you know, as I was, you know, writing the story, I was like, what if she put mama in the car one day, drove to her brother's house and just, you know, you know, ring and run and just drop her off, you know, mm-hmm. but she would never do that, right? As women, we would just never do that. We're always going to be responsible. We're always going to, you know, but at the same time, if she did that, they're not gonna, those, you know, he, her brother and and uh, and sister-in-law, you know, they're not going to, you know, malign or you know neglect this woman. They would be forced to step up. So sometimes we do have to force people to step up. We're, if we're waiting for them to help us, we will be waiting a long time because you know a people, you know, will, you know, they're not always thinking about us. Like that's us. We're always thinking about everybody and ourselves last. Um, but, you know, being willing to say, you know what, I'm going to put myself first and I'm going to insist that you help me out. And and that's hard. You know, I'm not suggesting that, you know, this is an easy thing and, and pointing fingers at women for not doing it. But, you know, our family members, our loved ones, they will allow us to work ourselves into the grave. They really will. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody's trying to do their best and everybody is selfish, no matter what they say, mm-hmm. you know, people are selfish. They do yeah. things in the benefit of themselves, yeah. even when they're doing things for other people. Sometimes people mm-hmm. do things for other people all the time to get that accolades, the accolades back. 
and it's not really mm-hmm. about doing the good thing. You so so a lot of times people right. are selfish. It's totally normal, but in the situation of taking care of elder parents, everybody should chip in as best as they can because it shouldn't just fall on the shoulders or of one sibling or other, whether it's a man or a woman. That's just my opinion. Let's talk right. about what's next. Right, for you. absolutely. What's next for you? What's happening with your um, upcoming story? So um, my book has been is being adapted for television through a deal with HBO Max with Tessa Thompson's production company. Yes. So I'll be writing mm-hmm. um, with a co-writer working on the pilot, and so I'll be executive producing along with Tessa. So um, hopefully they, you know, HBO likes the pilot. Um, and at the same time, um, next year um i'll be at the university of mississippi next academic year the 2022-2023 um academic year as the john renee grisham writer in residence and so this is a fellowship that um is designed to give me the time and the space um to work on my next book um, which i'm already working on um right now it's a novel but they're literally at least once a week i think to myself (laughs) Do I want to write a novel or do I want to write another short story collection? So there's that tug of war that is ongoing. Um, and I continue to write short stories and essays um, that are being published different places, um, either um, in you know individual publications, a couple of things are coming out in anthologies. So it's, it's a, a, a busy time um, because my book tour is still happening. Um, it was all virtual, and then I've started to have some in-person events. Um, I don't know what uh, impact the pandemic might have on that, but, you know, I've got lots yeah. of in-person events scheduled, book festivals and things happening that I'm excited about, but, of course, you know, want to keep safe. Um, and I have not been playing around in this pandemic. You will always see me masked up. Um, but we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, um, with that. So writing, touring, um, adapting. So never a dull moment. Yes. Never a dull moment. Well, please take care of yourself. Self-care is important because, you yes, know, you're doing absolutely. all these things. I'm getting ready to go on vacation. You've got to take a moment. <laughs> oh, okay. Wonderful. Yes, That's great. I believe in that. Take lots of pictures. Take lots of pictures and post them for us if you don't mind. With you know, we can live vicariously through you. Now, are you going someplace safe? I mean, how do you feel in this pandemic to take a vacation? I mean, are you going to do like extra handy sanitizers, like packed away? Yeah. <laughs> what, what are you? What are your? What's you know, your plan? I plan the trip is for me and my daughters, you know, before the variants really, you know, started to pop up and before the yeah. numbers started to spike again. So, you know, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, what does that mean? And so one of the things that, you know, my daughters and I talked about, uh, we're going to Charleston. And, you know, part of it is, you know, one of the things that Charleston's known for is the food. Um, but, you know, I still don't eat inside restaurants. So, you know, if there's outdoor oh, seating, wow. that's good. But we'll okay. also do takeout. But, yeah, I don't eat inside restaurants. And, you know, doing a lot of outdoor things. I want to do one of the gala tours, um, that are um, offered and um, just things that we can do safely, masked up outside, um, you know, and it's a beautiful city. So I think we can, yeah. I think we can still do it safely. So, Well, I hope you have a wonderful time and I would love to have you back on when you finish the HBO uh, movie. Um, I definitely saw almost like this for colored girls type of thing happening 
for mm. a play before I even knew about the Tessa Thompson thing. So it, so, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely waiting, and I'm sure other people are waiting with bated breath about what will come up on HBO with your stories, and, and hopefully they'll be able to do justice to the stories. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. You know, one thing we, uh, it's a great opportunity for me to, um, to visit, to revisit my characters and to go deeper, you mm-hmm. know, like we can learn more about Olivia's mom, for example, like what was her deal, you know, um, yeah. we can move backwards yeah. in time and learn about the older characters when they were younger. We can move forward in time and learn about some of the younger characters as they are older, you know, going beyond the book itself and also bringing characters from different stories into the same world. So I'm really excited and looking forward to wow. that. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I wish you so much success. Thank you again for coming on Thank the show. You. I hope you have a wonderful vacation and, and just be safe and healthy. Absolutely. Safety first. Thank you so much for having me, Joy. I really appreciated our conversation. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you when you do the next movie, next book. I'd love to have you back on. Yes. I'm happy to come back. <laughs> All right. You have a great weekend, okay? All right. You too. Take okay, care. Bye-bye. bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I just got off the phone with author Deisha Filial talking about her book, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. I'm going to give away some copies of her book. So you want to follow me on Twitter, at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. That way, that way you have a chance to see what the giveaway question will be, and you can win a copy of her book. Um, I definitely do send the giveaways out. People have posted pictures. If you want to, like, search the Internet, you can see people post pictures. It is not a trick. Um, so definitely follow me on social media so you can have a chance to win. Um, This Wednesday, I'm having a special show with author and poet Clint Smith, um, and that's going to be at 7 p.m. Eastern this coming Wednesday, um, the 28th. So that's a special edition, not Saturday, but it'll be a good show, I I guarantee you. And I'll also be giving away some of his books after the show. Again, thank you for listening. You can check it out on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. And if you missed the first part of this interview, it's going to be archived, just like all the other ones. They're all archived. Just look up Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and you'll find them on those different platforms. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Nearly one-third of all American adults have high blood pressure, and more than half of them don't have it under control. Simply seeing a doctor and taking medications isn't enough for many people who have high blood pressure. A team-based approach by patients, healthcare systems, and healthcare providers is one of the best ways to treat uncontrolled high blood pressure. Patients can improve control by measuring and recording their own blood pressure between office visits and by taking medications as prescribed. Healthcare systems can use electronic health records and patient registries to find and follow up with patients and automatically notify doctors about patients who have high blood pressure readings. Healthcare providers can see patients with high blood pressure more often until control is achieved. To learn more about the ways we can all work together to achieve blood pressure control, visit www.cdc.gov slash vitalsigns.
it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.